In this two-part interview, I talked to futurist Steve McDonald about spiral dynamics, which is a model for understanding human development and consciousness. It's a fascinating conversation that I think can help us understand ourselves and other people so much better. There's a lot of information to digest, so sharing this in two parts will hopefully help your digestion and not give you information heartburn. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about things we're not supposed to, learn how to have difficult conversations, and talk to people about what makes them different. This is the We Don't Talk About That with Lucas Land podcast where we do talk about that with me, Lucas Land. It's never the right place or time. It's imperceptible to the eye. It's never the right place or time. My guest today is Steve McDonald. He is a futurist and the founder of the Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence. Integrative or integrative? I don't even know. Yeah, you can say it either way. way Same thing. You can say it either way. <laughs> You're from Australia. I should say that first because that's why I want to like check my pronunciations because I'm thinking as we were talking that, oh, maybe I'm getting an Australian accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, AA, <laughs> the AADII is a nonprofit ag- change agency. Uh, and you're also the founder of Future Sense, a podcast and radio show that broadcasts from Byron Bay, Australia. So welcome to We Don't Talk About That. <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, tell us first just a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, I said you're at Byron Bay, Australia, uh, but what are what are you up to? And, and tell us just a little bit uh, about who you are. Sure. Um, I guess... Uh, I'm a futurist and a change agent, and I'm particularly interested in the evolution of human consciousness and the future of human existence. And I, I've got a very diverse background. So I spent 15 years as a career army officer here in Australia. For some of that time, I was a reconnaissance helicopter pilot. And for most of my army time, I was an officer in the infantry. So sort of grassroots uh, commanding combat soldiers. And I, I went to war in Somalia, Africa in 1993 on a humanitarian uh, mission. And um, that was primarily a US-led response to a widespread famine, which had been caused by a civil war in Somalia. So we mm-hmm. went over there to, mm-hmm. to quieten down the, the civil war so that the UN could resume feeding people again. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, not long after that deployment, a couple of years uh, later, I got out of the army, um, went through a bit of a, a unclear phase of not knowing what was next for me, but I ended up going back to flying and flew a rescue helicopter for five years, so working in emergency services. And then while I was doing that, I, I started to do some training and consulting work on the side because I had a lot of management experience from my time in the mm-hmm. army and that eventually got me into full-time management consulting and then I specialized in change management after a while and I discovered Claire Graves's work uh, back in 2003 and around the same time I was also introduced to Ken Wilber's work as well and um, from my you know reasonable 
uh, experience of, of the, the different uh, encounters you can have with human nature from, you know, from war through to uh, all sorts of extreme experiences uh, in emergency services. Um, what I read of Claire Graves' description of human nature seemed a really good fit with my experience. And so mm. straight away, I sort of gravitated towards learning more about that. Uh, I did some formal training yeah. with Don Beck, who was uh, one of the authors of the Spire Dynamics book, um, first in Australia, then I went to Texas uh, a year later. Um, and eventually I got qualified to teach Spiral Dynamics Integral, which was under the, the auspices of Don Beck's uh, school. Um, mm. I, I also, during that period, I struggled with post-traumatic stress from my work in the military and emergency services. And uh, mm. that knocked me over for about seven months. I couldn't work and went through a fairly extreme sort of healing process there. But it, but it, was, wow. yeah. it was also a, a breakthrough process as well. So, you know, developmentally, because I'd read about Claire Graves' material, I can see it as being a, a transformational process. And that was really mm. useful for me. Uh, and then, um, in more recent years, uh, I have established a charitable foundation, which is essentially a non-profit change agency, as you described, and it has a global focus. So I'm particularly interested in the global challenges that humanity is facing and will face in the near future and how we can improve human coping capacity by understanding how to transform human consciousness and and really uh, the, the root of pretty much all of our issues that we have in society it comes down to, to human values and if we can understand human values better mm. and how mm. they change and how to work with the change process then that offers an avenue to you know to a more cohesive and collaborative global society yeah one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you is exactly what you're what you're talking about that um and and i assume you know spiral dynamics is is a, a big part of that when i first encountered spiral dynamics what was what was really helpful to me was that it uh helped me be more compassionate to <laughs> people that were in other memes or or were different than me i could see where they were, where their values were and where they were at. Um, so tell, tell us a little more about, um, I, kn I know we're not going to be able to really plumb the full depths of spiral dynamics uh, in, in an hour or so, and we can share some links for people to go deeper later, but just on, you know, on a, a general level, um, what was Claire Graves' kind of initial idea about how human consciousness sort of developed and how might that help us see people differently? And then maybe we can get into the colors. <laughs> sure. Um, I think one thing that's different about Claire Graves' research is most people, when they're wanting to do a research project, they come up with a hypothesis and then they want to try and prove whether it's true or not. Graves yeah. started with an open-ended question, and that's what really marks his work as, as unusual and, and very insightful. Mm. So he was a contemporary of Abraham Maslow. There were a number of theories around at that time about the development of human nature and psychology. And most of them had no more than seven levels, like stepped uh, levels or stages that we grow through during our life. Mm -hmm. And all of the models around really had a kind of a pinnacle, you know, the pinnacle of, of human existence. This is what you can achieve and, and it's the highest right. thing you can achieve. And so mm -hmm. Graves, uh, 
Grace was teaching psychology uh, in upstate New York. And on the course that he taught, there were five different perspectives on human psychology that came from different sources. And inevitably, one of the students would put their hand up at the end of you know, the, the course and say, uh, Dr. Graves, which one of these is right? <laughs> and uh, and it, it was really frustration around that, those questions that drew him to, to start his own research. So his research was based around the question, what is the nature of a psychologically mature adult? And with that open question, he then had quite a diverse range of data gathering methods from self-reporting from university students to uh, unannounced observation of behavior, which probably wouldn't be ethical, you know, these days. Um, Mm -hmm. And and he also, you know, he studied all sorts of parallel research as well into um, biology, you know, the study of, of brain structure and that kind of stuff. And I guess there are three main things that really came out of his research. And and he was also smart enough to know that if he was the only guy analyzing his data, then his own perspective on the world would flavor the outcome. So what he did was he gathered a team of seven peers whom he called his judges, and he would give his data to the judges and just say, have a look at this and see what patterns you can find. So it was a very open approach that he took and and very non-directive, which I I think again is why he came up with such valuable information. And I can summarize his findings in kind of three areas. The first one is he found this interesting relationship between the complexity of life conditions and the responsive and adaptive nature of human consciousness. And he represented that as like a double helix pattern where life conditions were one Mm. strand and and the human consciousness was the other strand. And and as the life conditions changed, then human consciousness responded. And as necessary, it either became more complex or less complex to match what the life conditions were demanding. Uh, And and that in itself is is, is a really profound finding. And I guess one of the key messages out of that is that life conditions and the complexity of our life conditions in particular. And you can interpret that as being the, the complexity or the difficulty of the challenges that we face in life uh, is one mm-hmm. way of thinking about that. That's the key driver for change. So, mm. so much, uh, you know, so often in the world we see people trying to change other people through logical argument or emotional pressure uh, or some other kind of uh, tool um, and yet it all comes back to the life conditions and, and it's something that's often overlooked. Mm-hmm. So whatever pressure is put on a person, mm-hmm. they're just going to fall back to, to whatever the life conditions are demanding of them. So if we can in the future redirect our change efforts to look first and foremost at life conditions and make sure mm-hmm. that the life conditions are there to support whatever it is that we're hoping to create, then that offers a completely new avenue for, for change, which I think will be much more successful. Hmm. So yeah. the second the second piece that came out of his research was an understanding of the human experience of change. And this uh, is essentially, it's like a pathway or a, or a pattern uh, that represents the change process. And, and many other people who've worked on this, you know, um, Joseph Campbell called it the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did some wonderful work on this same pattern, but she worked with dying patients who are adapting psychologically to the death process. Um, right. And 
the same change pattern can be found in the I Ching, you know, the ancient book of changes from China and, uh, and many, many other, you know, cultural uh, products from different cultures around the world. So we're basically talking about uh, the fundamental way that everything changes in this reality and, and you can reduce it like to its most simple form as, as basically a sine wave. Um, but mm. uh, a more sophisticated understanding sees it as a, not, not as a, as a flat wave or even a flat circle, but as a spiral. So we go through cycles and at the completion of a cycle, you know, we might either, we may stay the same, we may grow and, and move up the spiral or we may, um, regress down the spiral as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just understanding that basic pattern that we start from stability, uh, when life conditions change, we feel discomfort. Our normal response to that is usually to look backwards to the past and try and remember a time when things worked okay. So we usually go through this regressive value search to look through the back catalogue and find if an old way of living is going to make things better. And what that usually does is it makes things worse. And so it speeds up the change process. So that's a neat little trick that evolution put into the change process to make it quicker. Um, and of mm-hmm. course the, the world, you know, speaking super generally, the world right now is in that regressive value search where things have changed. We're not quite sure how they should be. So we're looking backwards and going back to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, right wing, extreme, right wing, extreme left wing kind of behaviors and that kind of thing. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, eventually we sort of move through that discomfort phase into uh, the, the transformation, which is like a chaotic time where everything falls apart. We completely let go of our old value structures and we are personally transformed. So um, that includes our body chemistry, our neural, neural networks, those sorts of things. Uh, and then we have a, a breakthrough, like a, an enlightening moment where suddenly we can see the world from a different perspective. And suddenly we see that, you know, we, there are new ways to live and we break out of that chaos and into a renewal zone, which is highly energized. And then come back to a stability, uh, which usually brings a, a higher level of coping capacity. So, mm-hmm. so that was the second sort of packet uh, of information that he produced, which is really useful. And the third one was an understanding of the layered nature of human values and human development, that there are these steps or stages or layers that we grow through from when we're born to you know, when we become uh, a mature adult. And again, it's, it's driven by our capacity to interact with our life conditions and the complexity of those life conditions as to how quick we might grow through these stages, but everybody grows mm-hmm. through the same ones and, and they're, um, they're sort of represented in spiral dynamics as V means, uh, I think is the language they use there. Um, mm-hmm. So each one of those represents a, a discrete framework for making sense of reality. And so it's, it's embedded very deep in us. It seems to be, pre-coded because everybody seems to go through the same uh, process Uh, and Mm -hmm. it shows up on the surface level as what we feel is important, what motivates us, what doesn't motivate us, you know, our our general values, our ethics and our behavior. Uh, So all of those things change when we transform or we transition from one value system to the next. Yeah. So those three things, yeah, the the relationship with life conditions, the change process, and then the the values uh, progression. Yeah. Okay, so listeners, if you didn't get all of that, you can rewind and go back through it. I was taking notes, and I'm going to re-listen to it too because there was a lot of good stuff there. (laughs) 
because I think for a lot of people, if they've never heard some of this, these ideas before, you know, it can be a lot at once. Um, but that, yeah, those are, that's a really good kind of basis for understanding, uh, how he sort of, or I guess, uh, was it Don Beck that then developed the, the sort of colors of spiral dynamics? Yeah, it was, um, Don Beck and his co-author Christopher Cowan were the ones who developed the colors. And that was at the time when Don was going to South Africa and working there. Uh, so that, that came after Graves, uh, had passed away, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, just to, just to maybe simplify some of what you're saying, the things I find really, really helpful in these basic things that Claire Graves was, was, um, researching and finding, um, one is that we all go through these stages of development, um, in a lot of the other systems, it's easy to maybe see uh, them as layer, layered or um, leveled in a way that says, you know, there's people at the bottom that are sort of primitive or backwards, and then there's people at the top that are better. And what I appreciate about spiral dynamics is, no, we all go through. And then, as you said, like you can, you can also kind of go back. You you keep going around cycles, and sometimes you're moving moving forward and sometimes you're moving backwards and and that it just fits a lot better with the reality i think of human experience um it does that that we all uh, go through those different stages yeah yeah and i when i started teaching spiral dynamics in the corporate world i particularly here in australia i guess because of the cultural differences between australia and the u.s I ran into uh, an obstacle uh, in the the language, the jargon that was being used in the Spiral Dynamics book. And it it was like people had to learn the language of Spiral Dynamics first, then they had to to learn the concepts. And it was was like an Mm. an unnecessary step. So I started to change the language that I was using. Mm -hmm. And I eventually Mm -hmm. settled on the word layers to describe yeah, okay. the, the stages or v-means and and i use layers mm-hmm. because they are nested inside each other so they're like the layers on an onion or those russian dolls you know you open a big russian doll and there's a whole bunch of little ones inside it um so so as we grow you know we start out at the basic sort of beige uh survival hunter-gatherer kind of value set and then the next mm-hmm. value set gets layered over the top of that and the next one layered over the top of that and so right. even if we're operating from you know a quite sophisticated value system we still have all of these basic value systems inside us and we can right. we can very right. quickly spiral back down to them if life conditions demand that of us yeah and what what i what i notice is so helpful is that we often um and i i want to get to the colors and kind of break down some of the memes um for people quickly but we uh, i've heard some people say like the u.s there's there's a certain percentage of the u.s that consider themselves like progressives that are in this green meme but part of the problem is they see themselves in this green meme uh, and they're they're looking down on the rest of you know those backwards other memes that are are retrograde and and can't catch up and so they sort of see themselves as having arrived right <laughs> at the yeah. at the pinnacle yeah and then uh, so what's what's brilliant and beautiful about spiral dynamics is it says no you you still are all those other memes that's right <laughs> and maybe and and your job is really actually instead of saying hey why don't you catch up to me and be like me 
is to help everybody be the healthiest version of where they're at so that they can continue to grow and develop. Yeah, right? I, I agree 100%. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's such a shift in how we <laughs> approach like everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Uh. Um, one of the interesting things about Graves' model is the model predicts that people will interpret it and use it in different ways depending on which value system they're operating through at the time, right? Oh um, yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that that is also a tricky thing when it comes to the real world uh, knowledge and application right. of spiral dynamics. So it depends where someone's at when they learn about the model, as to how they perceive it and how they might use it. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, it makes it yeah. quite an interesting and, and rich um, topic. But uh, one of the yeah. things in the first tier of consciousness, which is the first uh, six layers or stages. Um, so that's from hunter-gatherer right up to relativistic or postmodern uh, green. There's an inbuilt rejection factor. So whenever we make a value shift and grow to the next uh, value system, we automatically reject where we've came from. And so that, yeah. you know, that is uh, an obstacle to the application of the model. Um, and... Mm -hmm. You know, it's only really hmm. when we start to poke into second tier and we start to be able to have those, you know, sort of very clean insights without any rejection bias that we come to the kind of conclusion that you just made that, okay, the, you know, the best thing we can do is actually to nurture everybody and let it help everybody be helpful where they're at. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. Well, before we get too, <laughs> too deep into into that let's uh let's back up i was i'm thinking i'm gonna uh link in the show notes to um a visual yeah uh, maybe you have a like one that's your favorite or one that you've created um and i've seen some others that i can link to so i would encourage people as you're listening maybe go to the show notes and and get the uh, a picture of the the colors as um we're kind of talking through the different colors to help you uh, visualize the idea of spiral dynamics and, and what we're talking about. So, sure, so yeah. give us, give us a brief, I know there's a lot to unpack in all the layers and all of the, the memes, but give us a brief rundown of, uh, the colors in the, in spiral dynamics. Sure. Um, so the model that Graves came up with, it's, it's uh, a fractal model. In other words, you can look at it from a different scale and it, and it looks the same. Mm. So you can apply these colors or layers to the individual experience that we have growing uh, through life. Right. And you can apply it yeah, also yeah. to a whole species level and everything in between those scales. Mm. So what I'll do as I just quickly go through each one of the colors or layers is I'll, I'll talk about it from both of those places, from an individual and a, and a species level. And that, that'll help people yeah. understand it a little bit better. So, so starting yeah, out um, at beige, which is layer one, uh, at a species level, we're talking about the first emergence of Homo sapiens from whatever we were before that. So um, hunter-gatherer kind of existence, very much embedded in nature and, and working in harmony with nature. Uh, and, and pretty much almost on automatic in terms of life, you know. Um, really just mm -hmm. responding to our immediate needs for, you know, hunger, shelter, those sorts of things. Um, and at an individual level, that is 
representing when we're first born as a baby where we're kind of helpless we're just eating and sleeping and existing and and there's no mm-hmm. there's no sort of richness of culture or anything around life it's really it's like the whole wow you know discovering the world and trying to make sense of it and trying to and just surviving and uh, that's an individually oriented uh, layer and as we go up the layers they alternate between individual and communal focus so from the indiv- individual beige we go to the communal uh, tribal which at an individual level represents like early family life where mom and dad are kind of like the the heads of the tribe and the tribe has customs you know things that are okay to do and things that are not okay to do and you have to kind of learn what the customs of you know and, and just follow the guidance of the, the heads of the tribe um, and, and of course, at a species level, that is literally, you know, the, the old traditional tribal living um, where you've got a, 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 a tribal head, usually a chief um, historically in, in our industry. Uh, and and a, the group, you know, is generally I, I considered to be up to about 150 people in a tribe roughly. You've got a piece of tribal land that you live on that has a boundary around it. And life is pretty much live inside that tribal boundary. Um, it, it has an animistic form of spirituality. So um, at the, the first level beige, there's no real structured spirituality that we've been able to to understand because there's no real you know, strong written records of, of life at mm-hmm. that stage so long ago. But certainly uh, there was this explosion of tribal culture around about 50,000 years ago. And part of that was the development of an animistic form of spirituality where um, every every physical thing is seen to have a spirit within it. So the, the mountain has a spirit, the river has a spirit, you know, the, the plant has a spirit, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thinking in the communal systems is very long-term, whereas thinking in the individual systems tends to be short-term. So in tribal mm-hmm. societies, you have these, like in here in Australia, in our Aboriginal culture, you know, we have stories that we know are 30,000 years old because they talk about astronomical events that happened 30,000 years ago that science has detected, mm. you know, those kind of things. It's amazing to think that mm-hmm. stories can carry knowledge so, so uh, for so long through our history. Um, and what happens with each of these layers is um, when we live life according to the values of a particular layer, at first, it's very, very useful, but it goes through a cycle where it peaks and then after a while, because the, the universe we live in is always becoming more complex, the, the growing complexity makes our value set have an expiry date. And so there comes a time when a particular way of living no longer works so well and we have to transform to the next most complex layer or color uh, in order to solve our problems. And so after living the tribal way for a while, um, we find that, okay, it's not working so well anymore. We, and we go through this subconscious transformational process driven by life conditions. So the next or uh, third layer, layer three is red, which Claire Graves called egocentric. And you can think of it from an individual perspective as the time when you start to become a teenager, go through puberty. Uh, you've got all these different uh, hormonal and emotional drivers happening you you want to break out of the control structure of the family you don't want to follow your mum and dad's orders anymore you want to uh, make your own mark on life discover who you are discover your own power 
uh, and you go through that wild phase in the in your teenage years of breaking the rules and just doing whatever you want to do and just to see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And at a species level, that equates to the breakout from tribal living into a roaming warlord kind of uh, existence, which you still see in places like Somalia, for example. Um, and maybe the biggest example in history was Genghis Khan. Mm. There's a great mm. movie about Genghis Khan called Mongol, which shows him growing up in a tribal setting. And then these uh, raiders come in and kill his you know, relatives and, and wreck the tribe. And that is that pressure is enough to transform him into one of these warlords. And of course, history shows he, I think he conquered more land on the planet than anybody else has so far. Um, so, so it's a, it's a very, it's egocentric as Claire Graves said, it's very self-centered and it's about changing the world to suit what you feel you need. Um, and, uh, it tends to, uh, typically be confronting raw. Um, it's still not really engaging the rational mind, uh, so much. It's very much driven by pre-rational urges, instincts, wants and needs. So, so still quite primal. Um, and in, in everyday society, we kind of play this out in sport. You know, we, we use it, sport as an outlet for that kind of raw emotional power orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a while, uh, again, life conditions change, uh, driving us to change to a more complex way of being. And we move to the fourth layer, which is coded blue and spiral dynamics. Um, Claire Graves called it absolutistic. And it takes us into a new zone, which I call the rational zone, because up until now mm-hmm. in one, two and three, we've been primarily driven by um, emotions, instincts, basic needs. Uh, whereas once we move from three to four, the frontal lobes develop uh, to completion. And so the mm-hmm. ration, our rational mind takes charge and we're able to rationalize away some of our emotions and urges you know and we we start to conceive of cause and effect relationships uh, so we can live in a much more disciplined and structured way and and that change in humanity historically came about around the time of the agricultural revolution where we learned how to crop on a large scale so we didn't have to spend all day working on subsistence farming or gathering food uh, we could actually settle down and build towns and large cities and have, you know, specialized people doing the large-scale agriculture to feed, feed us. And the complexity, the extra complexity that came from living in large groups like that meant that we had to develop this rational-minded approach that allowed mm-hmm. us to follow rule sets and live a disciplined mm-hmm. life, you know, so that we could just live cohesively uh, within t- towns and cities. So the, the mindset that comes with this, and, and from a personal perspective, this is kind of when you've, you've uh, run yourself ragged as a teenager, you know, living the wild life, and you, you suddenly have this realization that, okay, I've got to knuckle down and, you know, uh, get on path here. Um, I can't just live my life like this because I need a regular income. I need, a, you know, future goals and those sorts of things. So that's when mm-hmm. we kind of settle down into more mainstream life when we move into this uh, fourth layer. And the thinking associated with it is typically looking for a higher authority to give us written guidance on how to live our life. So we're basically, we're basically looking for a set of rules from a higher authority. And often for many people that comes in the form of religion, 
Mm-hmm. And it was around this, you know, this time in history when we, when humanity uh, emerged into this fourth wave of being human, that uh, the the religious books from our main structured religions, you know, were written from this kind of mindset of there's a set way to live. There's only one right way to live, actually. And here are the rules for that. And if you follow those rules, then everything will be good. And the rewards for that come way in the future because we're in a communal system and it's long-term thinking. So you hear people from this mindset saying, okay, if I do really well in my career, you know, by the time I retire, I'm going to get a gold watch and I'll have all this money saved up and, you know, things will be great. Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and from a religious point of view, if you live a good life, follow God's rules, then when you die, you'll go to heaven and be rewarded there. So the rewards are always come later in this mindset. And then as with all the value systems, uh, after a certain time, if your life conditions become more complex, then you'll also transition out of this one. And so it really does come back to life conditions. And there, there are still places on the planet where people are living quite happily at, tribal Mm -hmm. layer two you know like in the the Mm -hmm. wild rainforest Mm -hmm. of Papua new guinea for example just north of australia um because they don't need to live any different you know they have everything they need their life conditions have stayed stable for thousands of years and there's been no no driver for them to move out of that value system so the movement there are areas they're just brief real quick there's areas of bolivia uh in the amazon in kind of northern northern bolivia where there are tribes that haven't been contacted and and luckily they have some protections that they they are left alone but i i know people feel like we've encroached on so many places and it's hard to imagine people living like that but these are uh modern people <laughs> living that way so yeah it's true yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and it, it also speaks to the power and the resilience of these simpler value systems, you know, basic survival, basic tribal Mm -hmm. and family bonds, basic power requirements that they are able to last so long successfully, you know, and and they, like I said, they don't go away. They're they're still nested inside us even when we're living in more complex places. I'm I'm pausing you maybe kind of halfway through yeah. to reflect on this because it's a it's it tickles some of the things I'm always interested in, but part of it is our very very short memories that we have as human beings to not remember that for ninety plus percent of Homo sapiens existence we we did exist in more tribal um, groupings and so of course they lasted that long. They, they've outlasted us already, right. For, for thousands of years compared to the short amount of time that we've been in the kind of civilization that we are now. Yeah. So this is where we'll end part one of our conversation. Stay tuned next week for the conclusion of this conversation with Steve McDonald. Thanks for joining us today on We Don't Talk About That with Lucas Land. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Help us spread the word by sharing it on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at WDTAT Podcast. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can support the podcast by visiting our website at wdtatpodcast.com and clicking on support. You can make a one-time donation or consider becoming a monthly supporter through Patreon. You'll receive bonus content and access to patron-only benefits. Thanks for your support. 
We would love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail by going to our website and clicking send voicemail. Your voicemail could be featured in a future episode. You can also email us at wdtatpodcast at gmail.com. Many thanks to Neil Curran and Infielder for the use of their music. You can find more of their music online at infielder.bandcamp.com. A final thought from Brené Brown. The willingness to show up changes us. It makes us a little braver each time. Until next time, keep showing up and keep being brave. What are you gonna do?